And all of God's people said, amen. amen. I am honored to be here this morning. Uh, first, just to be able to share with you in worship. It's a joy to preach the word of the Lord and study it and worship and praise our awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. But it's also an honor to be here, to be considered as your possible interim pastor. And I've been praying for this as the Lord's will be known, and I know that you have too. And uh, that will be determined later, but it is an honor to come and consider that. The church, when it's in a transitional time between pastors, tends to face some unique difficulties and unique tasks that they have to do. It's just not normal, the same old, same old thing that's going on, you know. Uh, there's some new, new tasks and new jobs that need to be done. There's some things that need to be filled in without a pastor being here uh, on your staff and in the local community. It's a little difficult, and church members have to consider that and realize that God is doing a great work and it's a great opportunity as uh, the Lord works in the church to see what will happen and what can occur in these new times. The Bible says that God said, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you knew not of. God's going to do a great work here at Providence Baptist Church. And hard work isn't new to you. I've had the privilege, Brother Steve gave me a, a little book on the history, and I've been reading through it. And I've noted some of those times when things seemed to be a little bit tough, but you got through those and you worked hard. And, and one of the evidences of this is this beautiful worship uh, building here, a place to come, the facilities that you have are designed to help us worship the Lord and praise him and serve him and get to know him and grow as believers in Christ. So you're not adverse to work and you understand the need for doing it. And the good news is, is that we don't have to do it alone. That God is promised to be with us and guide us and direct us. And I wanted to share a little bit of, a, of, of with you this morning about one example, one time when this was really seriously important. And it goes all the way back into the history of ancient Israel. You know, God had made a covenant with the people of, uh, with, with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And uh, they lived in that covenant. Eventually, were able to uh, go into the promised land and with their King Solomon. And I'm really going through history pretty quickly in the Old Testament. By the time we get to Solomon, they build this beautiful temple beautiful temple where they can offer their gifts and sacrifices and pray to God and praise him and tell the whole world that they serve the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. But unfortunately, the Israelites sinned and God brought the appropriate judgment against them and that temple was destroyed. And the people of God, Judeans, were carried away into exile. They repented and turned from their wicked ways, and they trusted that God would give them a restoration, bringing them back to Judah, to Jerusalem. And there, they would again be able to worship God. They knew that they needed to rebuild the temple. But the old temple had been destroyed around 586 BC, and so this was 
almost 70 years after that had been destroyed and the people were able to come back and they didn't know what to do. Their leader was a gentleman by the name of Zerubbabel. That's a funny name, isn't it? Zerubbabel, but it actually means the seed of Babylon, which meant he probably was born in Babylon into a Judean family, maybe even royal, but he came back as the governor and he was given the task of helping the people of God rebuild the temple. The old temple was in ruins and now they had to find the money and the materials and the means whereby they could approach this tremendous task and get it done to be able to re-worship and to re-establish the worship and the praise and the glory of God in Jerusalem. It was a tough task, but along came a guy by the name of Zechariah to give Zerubbabel encouragement. That's what I like to think that my job is or would be if you call me to be the interim. I do a lot of interims in other places and I consider that to be my job, to encourage the church, to encourage its worship, to encourage the tasks that need to be done as they move from a period without a pastor to a time of getting a pastor. And I've learned that one of the things that is common between what Zerubbabel had to do in rebuilding the temple and me as an interim pastor or any church who's looking for a transitional or looking for a new pastor going through that transitional time, there is a common element. And that element is learning to trust God and learning to see that the work is done through his power and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. If it isn't done that way, we got problems. There's going to be more difficulties than we humanly can approach or attain. But if we learn as believers in Christ, if Providence Church learns as the body of believers here to do this, it will help them not only, and I'm pretty sure you know this already, it will help you not only approach this task of looking for a new pastor, but any other thing that God asks you to do, you will be able to approach it in the same way. And with God's results to conquer it, to go forward, to be the kind of witnesses, to be the kind of church that stands and upholds the name of Jesus, exalts the name of Jesus in this community, in the folks around us, in Kansas City, and the world. I noticed that your particular mission statement is loving God, right? Oh, it's not, well, there it is over there. Loving God, loving people. I suppose serving the world's out there, right? And you can do that. You can accomplish that because of what God is going to do through his spirit. And that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. So if you'll turn to Zechariah chapter 4, in your pew Bible, if there's one right there, you can grab it's page 949. If you have your own Bible, turn to that. And it's just a couple of words. It's kind of like a little sound blurb. We like to write things on Twitter and on Facebook and post these little statements. So God gives one of the greatest statements of all time to Zerubbabel by Zechariah the prophet. 
And Zechariah has several visions. He's, God is giving him his message in several visions. And these visions are all about rebuilding the temple and reestablishing the worship of God in Judah. And in one of these, Zechariah is being asked, uh, what he sees, and he says, "Well, I see these two, all these two trees, and who are they, and all that." And God says, "Listen, you've got to understand that one of them is Zerubbabel, and the other is Joshua, the high priest. And I'm going to use those two individuals to help reestablish the people of God in Jerusalem, in Judah. But I want you to know, and this is the message he says to Zechariah that you need to take and deliver it to Zerubbabel." And it's a simple set of words. It just says, when he says to do that, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord to Serubah. I would say it's the word of the Lord to the church here. It's the word of the Lord to us. Because you know what? We sometimes face tremendous tasks and jobs that sometimes we think are impossible and we don't even know how we're going to get through them. But God knows, and the good news is that we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we ask Jesus into our heart, if you have asked Jesus into your heart, what God promised is that the Holy Spirit would be there. And by the Spirit of God, we can have confidence and we can recognize that He and his power and his might, his strength, everything he is will help us make it through and accomplish the task that sets before us. That's what I like about this passage because it, it causes us to think for a few moments and to meditate for a few moments on exactly what God is saying through Zechariah to Zerubbabel, but also the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. So let's take a few moments to look at this passage. There are three words in here, or three little phrases that, that come to epitomize what God is really trying to say when we face any kind of a task. And the first one is to understand that we are not to rely upon our numbers. Now you say, well, where do you get the idea of numbers? Well, the text actually says in Zechariah chapter four, verse six, not by strength. Now that word strength is the same word that's used in Hebrew to refer to an army. It means strength of people, power of people, or the accumulated possessions of people. It means who you are in terms of what you can accumulate and bring to the table. So I like to think that God is saying here, you don't need a vast army. Look, you were conquered by the Babylonians. You were, your temple was destroyed by them, but the Bible tells us that God said he will punish those Babylonians and he will reestablish the worship of this tiny little group of people who came back from Babylon after the exile to reestablish themselves in Jerusalem and to reestablish the worship of God. God doesn't count on how many people you have because it's not because of how many people you have. It's because of him. You know, with God, one person is a majority. Did you know that? One person in God is a majority. 
You got to think about that. Churches sometimes bemoan the fact that we don't have enough people and we're not a big church. And that doesn't matter. God is bigger than anything else. And with him, we can do all things. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, we're reminded of the case of Gideon. People had come to oppress the Israelites and Gideon was called to raise the alarm and ask for volunteers. And all these people came and God said, I don't want all those people. He said, I don't want this group. I don't want that group. And he finally, they got it down to just 300 people. 300 men with Gideon destroyed thousands in the army of the enemy because God wanted to show it wasn't by our number. It wasn't by the accumulation of our wealth or it wasn't by the accumulation of what we could bring to the table. Instead, it's what God brings to the table. So Zerubbabel was reminded not to go out there and count how many workers he had, how many people had come back from the exile. That was sufficient and that was enough. God wants this church to be here. He wanted it to be in this community, serving the mini- in ministry here since, what, 1847 or 6, right? And you're still here. That means God has a purpose, a reason for you being here. But we need to realize it's not because of the numbers, but it's because of him that God enables us to complete this task. Zerubbabel was reminded that the temple would be rebuilt, and it was in 515 BC, not because of the numbers of the vast army, but because of God's help, because God wanted it so. God wants his church here. If he wants this church here, then we need to work with him. If he doesn't want it, we might as well close up the doors and go home, right? But I'm convinced through reading part of your history and from praying and talking to church members, you believe God wants this church here. So we have to say, okay, we know God will help us do this, but we don't have to be frustrated or worried because we don't have everything that any other huge mega church has. We are the people of God here and God will use us in great and mighty ways, even though our numbers might be few. He has what he needs, and he will add what he needs to the church in order to effectively and correctly serve him. Please don't forget that. The second thing that that Zerubbabel said was told by Zechariah is that we are not to rely on our power. Now, that word power um, can be translated as might or strength. It really refers perhaps to what the individual can do in terms of their stamina and ability and who they are. So Zerubbabel is telling, telling, or is being told by God that he doesn't have to worry about getting the smartest people or the best people, the strongest people. He doesn't have to worry about getting the best specimens of humankind to do this. You know, we like to play sports. And we like to think that our sports team is great. Now, I'm a Baltimorean. I told you that. I was born in Baltimore. I grew up listening to the Baltimore Orioles play. And our enemy was the New York Yankees. Of course, they were the enemy of everybody. 
But the Yankees had so much money, they bought, they bought all the best players, and they would ride into Baltimore and play the Orioles, and they were thinking that all that great equipment, all that great uh, athletes would just win them, and, and it did a number of pennants. But you know what was so exciting? Was when our Orioles beat them. The no-name Orioles, the little guys. I'm talking way back when you had Brooks Robinson and Boog Powell and Frank Robinson. A lot of people, you have no clue who they are. But they would beat up on the Yankees, and we go, yay! Because the little guy who, wasn't, who didn't have all the money, who didn't have all the ability, who didn't have all the power, could still win. And that's what God is saying to Zerubbabel. You don't have to think that you have all the best strategies, all the best people, all the best equipment to get this done because it's not by that. The metrics of a church is that it doesn't grow only because of numbers or it doesn't grow because it has all the right programs and all the right activities and all the right pizzazz and branding. That's not what makes the church the church. What makes the church the church is God's love for us by giving us Jesus Christ on the cross to die for our sins. And in him, we are redeemed people. If we know him as our Lord and Savior, he, God, will lift us up to be what he wants us to be in this community and in this world. And he will make a difference through us. You don't have to be the prettiest people, the coolest people, the most famous people to serve God. Because what God just wants is you and me committed together to be in his church, loving others, serving the world, trying to make a difference in our life because we know that the absolute hope of the world is Jesus Christ. It's not a huge sacrifice, a crystal cathedral, a temple. It's not programs right and left. It's not a singing Christmas tree. It's not all the living manger scenes and everything else that we can do. All oh, those are all good, mind you, but they're not what makes the difference. What makes the difference is God and his spirit. And that's exactly what he told Zerubbabel because he said we are to rely on God's spirit. He said, not by strength or numbers of an army, not by your power, who you are and what you can do, by your might, but it's by my spirit. And my spirit will help you build the temple, Zerubbabel. My spirit will help you get through that hard task. All the troubles and the difficulties and the circumstances that become and seem impossible, they will not be impossible through the spirit. This is what he says here in the next verse. He says, what are you, great mountain? Here's his illustration. God is giving us an illustration through Zechariah and the prophet he said, what are you, great mountain? This is a great mountain. It's hard to climb. It's hard to get over. It's in the way. He says, by the spirit of God and before Zerubbabel, when Zerubbabel is totally yielded to God's spirit, 
totally obedient to him, totally seeking him, guess what that, that mountain is going to be? To Zerubbabel, we're told, it will become a plain. All right? Now, understand, I, I love my wife, and I tease her, and she teases me. So one of the things I tease her about is being in East Tennessee hillbilly. And you understand, that's good because I always tell them that I'm a terrible Baltimore on city slicker. See? So I have redeemed myself by marrying an East Tennessee hillbilly. You understand that? So we, we have a lot of fun with that, okay? But here's the thing. She loves the Smoky Mountains. She was born in East Tennessee. She, well, she lived there, and, and, and she just loves the Smoky Mountains. And when, and when I said to her, and we were in North Carolina out near Raleigh, and I said, well, I think God is calling me to come to Kansas City and to teach there. And she said, but it's so flat. There are no mountains. It's so flat. Well, she's acclimatized herself to the plains here, right? Because in East Tennessee, to get places, you may be only about two to three minutes away as the crow flies, but it takes you 20 to 25 because you've got to get up and around the mountains and the passes to get to where you want to get. But here, it's smooth sailing because you can get from one place to another. Things out here, though, are stretched farther apart, seems. But the point is that with God's spirit, Zerubbabel can say to the mountain, be gone. And the Bible tells us that if we have the Holy Spirit of God, that mountains before us will disappear and be gone as well. They will not create the difficulties and the problems that mountains sometimes do. Now, this is important for us to understand in several ways. One, of course, is what God is doing with Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. The temple was rebuilt. The mountains that were there that seemed to be insurpassable and, and difficult were gone, and God was able to help the, the children of Israel. They were able, through God's help, to build the temple and to reestablish the faith and the worship of Judah there in the temple. But for us as individual Christians, sometimes we do face those insurmountable mountains. And we think things are impossible. And we need to recognize that God's help, with God's help, they can become the plain. It would be the same thing for the church as the church looks for a new pastor. The uh, scholars tell, tell us that there's about eight developmental programs or progress or tasks, that's why we use the word tasks, that we have to go through in looking for a new pastor from the time the old pastor left to the new pastor coming. And some of those are pretty tough to do. But in doing that, if we trust the Lord God through his spirit, they will not be a mountain, they will become like a plain. And because of this, we can glorify God and honor him because he's working in our midst. And he's got such a wonderful thing at the end when they went back into the temple. You see, this is what Zerubbabel is, is being told by Zechariah, is that when he gets to that point in the last part of verse 7, when he gets to the last point where he brings the cornerstone out, for that new temple, that second temple. And that cornerstone is brought out by the people and is laid there that says, dedicated to the glory of God, the people will cry out, grace, grace. This is God's grace. This is God's glory. This is God doing it. His favor, 
his unmerited grace because we don't deserve to do it or to have it given to us, but God did it because of his love. You know, Jesus died on the cross not because we're so special, but because Jesus loved us. Because we were created in the image of God, and though we sinned against him, Jesus was willing and obedient to go to the cross and give his shed blood for me and for you. And we can cry, grace, grace. That's God's grace. That's his unmerited favor because he will help us accomplish probably the most greatest and devastating tasks that we ever have to, face, have to face, and that is the need to conquer sin in the saving grace of Jesus by being born again. You think it's easy to become a Christian? It's not. We face the difficulty of the power and the control of sin in our lives, and we have to come to a conclusion through the power of the Holy Spirit that God's grace gave us a way to conquer that sin, not on our own abilities, not because of who we are or what we do, because of what Jesus did on the cross in dying for you and for me. You know, that was a hard thing to do for Jesus. It's a hard thing for us to do to come and receive that. It isn't just child's play. It isn't easy. That great mountain of sin is now gone when we come to realize that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we come to him and yield our hearts to him. There are tasks that we face every day, things that bother us, things that seem insurmountable, but folks, the truth is that with God, we can do it. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit directing us and guiding us, we can do it. This, God uses his spirit to motivate us, to provide strength for us, to show us the strategy that we're to follow, not our own ideas, but God's ways and God's ideas. And we can look for those to be done in the church, and we can look for those to be done in our own hearts. All we have to do is to begin to study the role of the Holy Spirit in the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, and we begin to see what God is telling us. Paul told the church at Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. He told the church at Galatia that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He said to them, if we live by the Spirit, let us, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul told the Romans that they should be fervent in the Spirit. He, he told the Corinthians that God gives gifts through the Spirit. He told the church at Ephesus that we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit by claiming to be Christians and yet not living a faithful Christian life. He told the church at Thessalonica that we shouldn't quench, or that's the old King James word, or stifle the Spirit. We don't want to do it our way and I'm afraid that Burger King has the wrong slogan, and Frank Sinatra realized that when he died, it wasn't his way. We can't do it our way or have it our way. It has to be God's way, because God wants to raise up such a grand body of believers whose love and whose life and whose action tell the whole world that God is holy and marvelous and great. 
He wants to get that kind of, of, of joy in seeing us be faithful servants who then tell the whole world that we have Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit draws us to God. The Holy Spirit convicts our, of us of our sin. The Holy Spirit teaches us what Jesus did on the cross and leads us to Christ. And we are able to be forgiven of our sins through the power of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We need to empty ourselves and be filled with the Spirit. We need to recognize that every and any task that we face needs to be done not by our own numbers or strength or our own might, but by the very Spirit of God. And with the very Spirit of God, we indeed will move forward. We need to realize that God wants us to accomplish great and hard things. We don't need to shy away from the things that seem to be hard. But he wants us to accomplish these great and hard things through him, by his power, by his might, by his Holy Spirit. We need to trust in God's strategy. Well, what was God's strategy to lose a preacher? Why is it that we have to go and look for a new preacher? But God has a great strategy. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know he's going to accomplish it if we will yield to him and be filled with his spirit. We can accomplish everything through his spirit. Now, I was going to teach you the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. So now you know hallelujah and you know amen and you should say this, ruach. Say that with me, ruach. That's the Hebrew word for spirit. With God's spirit, we can trust his strategy and know that he has us on the right path. It may not seem to be the right path. We may think the right path is over here. At least some of us might think it's over here and others will think it's over there. But in reality, God's path is where we need to be on and it will be the right path. We can trust his strategy and we can realize that he wants us to accomplish great and hard things through him. And finally, we can act. We can get connected to God. We can ask the Holy Spirit to direct us and teach us and help us. And we begin to learn all about the Holy Spirit and to communicate with God through the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit helps convict us of our sin and brings us to Jesus. But once we come to know him, that our spiritual growth is done through the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to the church. I believe it comes to every believer when we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. We need to ask the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit, and we can only do that by emptying out ourselves of our own self-centeredness and our own idolatries. Because you can't take a glass of water and fill it up and up and up and up. It always overflows. But if you empty it out, you can fill it fairly well. So we need to be emptied of our own sinfulness. And we learn that through spiritual growth, through the study of God's word, through prayer, and through church worship and godly fellowship. We want people to know that the Baptist church down there is really unique, not because of all the Baptist fights that go on or all the sinfulness that takes place, but because God's spirit is here and something's cooking with that spirit. Do you understand? 
The church needs to be the godly fellowship in the world that God has called it to be. And it can only be that way when it yields itself to the power of uh, of God's spirit. I'm not talking about holy rollers rolling in the pews and all kinds of other things. I'm talking about when people come here and they worship with us, they know without a shadow of doubt that they've been with God. And we need to recognize that. We don't have to beg God for his presence. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that whenever two or more are gathered in his name, what happens? He's there. We don't have to beg or plead for him to show up. He's already here. What we need to do is fall on our faces and humbly say, Lord, I empty myself and I open my heart to you. Show me Teach me your presence. Help me to live in your presence so that the world around us will see that this church has the very presence of God in its midst. That makes the difference. That's what grows the church. That's what makes the church powerful and, is, and enables the church, the believers in the church, to accomplish every single difficult task that is set before them. Do you want to be that kind of a church? Then we have to ask this question, what does God want us to do? And I'm saying to you this morning that the very first thing that he wants us to do is simply to empty ourselves out of our own sinfulness, self-centeredness, narcissistic, I'll get that word out, narcissistic tendencies that lifts us up instead of lifting up Jesus and lifting up God. If you will do this as a church, if we will do this as a body of believers, then God will show us great and mighty things that we never thought possible. His glory will be lifted up. The people of God will praise God and say grace and grace and grace and more grace because it is not by, we are not doing this by our own numbers or our own power, but by the spirit of God. Now I want to go ahead and ask, I'm not gonna pray here right at the moment, but I wanna go ahead and ask the musicians to come forward because I really feel led to do this as a very little special thing here. Not for, my, not for me, but for you all. And I'm simply gonna share with you what I think this invitation is all about. I hope and pray that there are individuals here who don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I've been in churches where they say, oh, pastor, it's all the group that's here. And, you know, I had a, an 80-year-old lady come up to me after the church service one morning and asked to speak to me in, in privacy of my office. And she said, I've been here. I've been a matriarch of this church. I've done this job, this job, this job, and this job. But what you said today, I have never given my heart to Jesus Christ. Will you help me find him? So it doesn't matter if you think you've been here for ages and people think you're probably one of the original church members, charter members. You may not know Jesus Christ, but you think by coming into the church makes you a Christian. Well, I go into my garage a lot, but it doesn't make me a car. So here's the point. (laughs) If you don't know this Savior that I'm talking about, if you don't know what it means or think or you're not sure what this Holy Spirit is, but somehow in your heart, the Holy Spirit is tugging at the strings of your heart. Don't wait, don't delay, just come forward in this invitation and we will send you in the privacy of another place with individuals in the church, deacons and others who can open up the word of God and go through what it says about becoming a Christian. 
We're not going to make you sign up. You're not going to give your house away. Nothing else is going to happen except we want you to meet our Savior and give you the opportunity to confess him as Savior and Lord. That's all we want you to do. That's part of the invitation. That's why we should have an invitation. And we should do this all the time because we want more than anything else is to bring people into this worship who don't know Jesus Christ. We want to be part of the evangelistic team that gets our neighbors and our friends and our children and everybody else that we can get from out there in here to worship with us so they hear the gospel and they hear about this challenge and they are convicted with the power of the Holy Spirit that they need to know this Savior. So if you don't know the Savior, I challenge you to do it. If you've to come and, and find out what it means to do that. If you know our Savior, but your life has gotten a little bit status quo, dry, you know, same old, same old. And there's not a whole lot of excitement about what God's doing on this spiritual level in our lives. And I challenge you in this invitation as we sing, even if you just do it where you are in the pew, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've allowed too many of me to be in my life and not enough of you. And I want to open my heart right now. You can pray where you are and I want to open my heart and just let the Holy Spirit fill me. I give you myself, no strings attached, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm giving myself to you. And I want to be that kind of a Christian that trusts in you because I have so many problems to face and I can't do it all by myself and I can't do it. I don't have the, the army. I don't have the wealth. I, I just need you. And I ask you right now in my personal Christian life and in my church life that I just yield my heart to you. You can do that where you are. You could come up while we're singing and kneel here and pray. You can grab somebody and come and kneel with them on the front bench and pray. I don't care what you do, but you need to tell, tell the Lord for the benefit of your personal Christian walk and for the benefit of this church that you want the Holy Spirit to direct you. God's spirit, God's will directing us to be what God wants Providence Baptist Church to be. Because if you don't, you're going to be part of the problem and not part of the solution. Because God wants to glorify this body, not for your sake, but for his sake. He wants people to come and know his son who obediently, willingly died on the cross for our salvation. And obviously he can't do that if we're not willing to do it. If you're looking for a church home and as this church receives members, we encourage you to consider to talk with the deacons to talk to find out if this is where God wants you to be. I really don't want people to be in a church that God isn't calling to them to be there. Because when God calls you to be the, in a church, you say to God, I like the values of that church and I want them to be my values. You don't need to come to a church and say, I'm gonna turn them all around to be my values. And I'm going to stick my nose in everything and make it to be what I want. We don't want that. We want this church to be what God wants. And it can only be what God wants if God calls people. If you've been here sitting and, and, and being part of the congregation, but you don't want to make that step to being a church member, then I ask you to pray about that. Is God calling you to join together with this church to be what, it, what God wants it to be? See, God is going to do great and mighty things through us. 
through you, through the believers, through all churches that are spirit-led, spirit-filled, and given to the Lord Jesus Christ. That will make the difference. Perhaps God is calling you to some type of Christian service, and you've been fighting it. Maybe it's part-time, temporary, or long-term. It might be something that you've been struggling with. I want to tell you, give in to God. I fought God long enough, and the joy is saying, okay, God, whatever. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do, but I have to trust him, and you have to trust him. If God is calling you to do that, come and tell the church. So the church can help you see that call and understand what God is asking of you and help you grow and learn and to be part of that call. All those are part of the invitation. But I ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, please let us share with you what it means to know him. Our song this morning is Blessed Be Your Name, and this is how it's going to work. The, the leaders up here, the music leaders, are going to start us singing, and I'll be down at their front, and I'll ask Brother Tony, who is, is he in here? Where's Tony? The, he might not be here. One of the deacons, or two of the deacons, to so come up and stand up here with me in the front, and you come to meet us if God so leads you. But if he's calling you, come, because we need to find out and to give him glory that this whole business here, whatever we do, whoever we are, will be done in the name of the Lord and in the power of his spirit.